No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's our theme verse from Romans chapter 8, verse 39 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Associate Care Pastor Josh Masters continues the series called I Am. This week's episode, I Am Loved. The spiritual practice this week is to read a passage from the daily reading each day. As you reflect on the Bible verses, ask God, what are you saying about who I am? Then complete the sentence, God says, I am, with what he says about you. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search the message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. That's something worth celebrating, isn't it? Love has a name, and love's name is Jesus. And the love of Jesus can be relied on because it's not something that he has, it's who he is. Today we're going to continue our series called I Am Discovering My True Identity. And our goal in this series is to strip away anything that we believe about ourselves that doesn't come from God so that we can pursue the purpose that he has for us, both individually and the purpose that he has for us as a church. But filling that purpose requires us to grab hold of our identity in Christ rather than living in the shame of our past or living in the labels of who the world says that we are. We want our I am, I want my I am, to be rooted in the great I am. The last week we talked about being rescued by God and what that rescue says about who I am. We said I am rescued and Christ's rescue of me says, we're gonna put it up on the screen, perhaps. (laughs) You have your notes. We said, Christ's rescue says that I am forgiven. My identity doesn't have to be based on my past. Says I am made new. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I am redeemed, which means that my life is incredibly valuable. It is vital for us to understand the cost and the meaning of Christ's rescue mission to save us. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to watch it online because it's the foundation for the rest of the series. But it's impossible for me to live in the reality of that rescue if I don't truly grasp why he rescued me. And the answer is love. I think that our greatest struggle in understanding our identity in Christ is actually understanding God's love for me. Because when I truly believe, when I truly experience his love, it completely transforms the way I see myself. So this week we focus on believing that I am loved. And this should be one of the easiest messages to teach. God loves you. 
God loves you. That's it. That's the whole message. The problem is that we don't believe it. And more than that, we can't comprehend God's love for us because of the negative experiences that we have had with love here on earth. We've experienced heartbreak and neglect and abuse and abandonment by our parents, by our spouses, our friends, our siblings, all the people in the world that we expected to love us better but didn't. And that affects everything that we believe about ourselves. It affects everything that we believe about our identity. In fact, when we here at Brookwood, when we use transformation prayer or the Celebrate Recovery Step Studies that are starting next week, when we use those things to help people dig down to the core issues affecting their identity, those identity issues are almost always wrapped up in this deep-seated belief, this lie that I am worthless, unwanted, unlovable. See, we don't believe someone can really love us for who we are because no one ever has. Not really. Not fully. And that's why we grab hold of these false identities we talked about last week. To convince someone, anyone, to just love me. Not for who I am, because that's, that's far too risky. But love me for who I'm pretending to be. And all the while, we're actually desperate to be truly loved, to be truly known. And when we don't find that unconditional love that we're looking for, we'll take whatever unhealthy scraps someone is willing to offer us. And we get hurt again. And so we learn that we can't trust love. And until we experience the love of God, we don't believe that his love is going to be any different from everybody else's love that has let us down again and again and again. Is his love something I can trust? In my darkest hour, in my darkest place, will his love be something that I can depend on? Well, Paul asks the same question. He asks the same question in the book of Romans. Chapter 8, starting in verse 35. Can anything ever separate us? And when you read this, put in the word me. Can anything ever separate me from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves me if I have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with my life? That's an incredibly important question. Because if our identity is supposed to be rooted in the love of Christ, what happens to my identity 
when I start to doubt that love, I'll try to find my identity in something else, right? Well, Paul had to rescue with that question too. But he comes to this conclusion, verse 37. No. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is mine through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an incredible promise. Not only is there nothing on earth that can affect God's love for you, But there's no power in the spiritual realm that can damage his love for you. Listen very carefully. Too many of us live in fear that our next mistake is going to strip God's love away from us. But if angels and demons and even the powers of hell can't strip God's love away from you, neither can you. You can, you can get excited about that. Listen, God's love is rooted in his perfection, not our performance. Look at 1 John. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God's sacrifice to rescue you didn't come from a sense of obligation. It was a response to his love for you. Yet until we encounter that love, instead of just reading about it, until we experience God's love and really begin to believe what that says about who we are, we're going to continue to struggle. So what does God's love say about us? What does this unchanging, unmovable love that God has for me say about my identity and say about who I am? Well, first it says this, in Christ's love, I am complete. Anyone here ever felt incomplete? Not enough? This is vital for us to understand because until we realize that the Father sees us as blameless and complete in his love, we will continue to feel empty. And we will continue to fill that void with whatever we can find. We'll fill the void with unhealthy relationships, with food, drugs, sex, pride, work, anger, politics, self-hatred, religion. We'll fill it with religion. Because we'd rather be filled up with junk than feel empty. 
That's how desperate we are to be loved. That's how desperate we are to be loved. In fact, we are so far down that rabbit hole that we think desperation and love are the same thing. Follow me on this. Think about some of the climantic, most romantic lines in some of our movies. Julia Roberts, Notting Hill. I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love me. That's desperate. My best friend's wedding. Choose me, marry me, let me make you happy. Also, Julia Roberts. She shows up a lot on the list. <laughs> Listen, those lines aren't romantic, they're desperate. But we've confused the two in our culture. We've made desperation look desirable. And what do you think? What do you think is the most unhealthy, most codependent line in romantic comedy history? What do you think? Don't pretend you don't watch romantic comedies. I can't live without you. I need you. I think it's this one Jerry Maguire. You complete me. And how does she respond? You had me at hello. Hollywood frames that as romantic because Tom Cruise looks good in the rain. But let me translate those lines for you. You complete me means I don't know who I am. So I will be whatever you need me to be. And you had me at hello means it doesn't matter what you were about to say or how you've treated me in the past. Just please love me. All of those lines, all of these famous lines that we think are romantic are actually reflections of our belief that we're not enough. It is impossible to feel whole or complete when we're trying to find that completeness in someone else who is not whole or complete. The brokenness of two people will never result in two whole people. It only doubles the brokenness. It's only when we seek to have God fill that void that we feel complete because he's the only one complete enough to overcome our brokenness. Look at Colossians 2. Remember, you are who I say I am. You, who you, I'm going to go over here and get the notes. There it is. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Now, let's leave that up in the room. Let's leave it up in our online campus, and let's think about that verse for a second. The first line says this, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God. Christ is perfect. He is God. Everything, including you, was created through him. 
And then the verse adds, he's fully God in human form, in a human body. That's relational. That's what made our rescue possible and opened the door for a relationship with him. Then the next line says, because he is fully God and because he is fully human, you are complete in your union with Christ. You are complete. And those four words, complete in your union, is actually all one word in Greek. It's pleiro. And what it literally means is to be filled up to completeness. That emptiness is filled to completeness with Christ. Not based on your power or your goodness, but based on his power and his goodness. That's why Paul ends to the, adds to the end of this, your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Now, combine that promise with the declaration of our verse from last week. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ fills me with completion. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Through the love and the sacrifice of Christ, God sees you as complete. You are complete. Our union with Christ means that God sees the finished product of our faith and he sees it now because the one filling us up is complete now. So why do you continue to believe you are not enough? Why do you continue to believe you're not enough? I think it's because deep down we think God has made a mistake. We know that's not true intellectually, but in our hearts, we believe God has made a mistake. We discount our union with Christ and we think that if God were to look too closely at what I've done, if he really knew me, there's no way he would want me. There's no way that he would love me. So we avoid experiencing his love for fear that he will realize who we really are. But here's the thing. God does know who you really are. God does see you. He sees all of you. In Christ's love, I am known and I am accepted. I am known and I am accepted. We spend most of our lives trying to feel accepted, wanting someone to really see us. So we become willing to compromise who we are in exchange for a false sense of acceptance. 
We allow one part of us to become our identity so we can have a little bit of acceptance. Because the counterfeit acceptance of this world says choose one thing about you to be accepted for. Choose one thing to be your identity. And then make sure you hide everything else about you away. Hide the rest of who you are away because there is no one who is going to accept the full you. So what's your one thing going to be? Your job? Your title? Your talent? Your race? See, the problem with all these false identities is that they're only based on one aspect of who we are, not the entirety of who we are. And you want to know what false identity does the most damage in the church? Which one does the most damage? No one. No one wants to know. It's the good Christian identity. It's the good Christian identity. The false identity that teaches us to hide everything real about ourselves so we'll feel accepted by the other good Christians who are hiding everything real about themselves. The one that makes you wear a smile as a mask that is much more restrictive than the COVID masks. We wear that mask instead of revealing our struggles and healing our past. But see, when we learn to carry one another's burdens, and when we learn to accept one another as Christ accepts us, that is when we begin to see healing communities that grow and heal and have an impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't learn to accept one another until we feel accepted by God ourselves. Stop looking for acceptance in one area of your life. It's not enough. It's never going to be enough. We are complete in Christ and our innermost desire is to be completely accepted. But your political party doesn't know you completely. Your spouse doesn't know you completely. Your coworkers don't. Your friends don't. Your parents don't. Your boyfriend or girlfriend don't. Nobody is able to know you completely. So there's always going to be this small part of you that doubts their acceptance. We will only believe that we are known and accepted when we experience acceptance by someone who sees every part of who we are. And that can only be God. Our identity and our purpose cannot be based on the fickle, conditional acceptance of humanity. It can only be rooted in the unconditional love and acceptance of the one who created us. When the disciples were afraid, when they felt insignificant, this is what Jesus said to them. He said, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. God is intimately connected with his creation. He cares about every aspect of the life that he has created. Two sparrows cost a copper coin. In in our language, that's a couple pennies. 
But God knows every single one and he cares when one of them dies. One commentator that I read wrote, God attends the funeral of every sparrow. So the thing that we put so little value on, God cares about immensely. And those are just a couple of birds. And Jesus continues, a single sparrow can't fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Think about what that really means. He knows every hair on your head or how many are missing. You're not disqualified from the promise of this verse if you don't have hair. God knows every part of you and he still accepts you. He still sees you as complete. And we don't have time for her entire story. You can read it in the Old Testament. But when Hagar was facing the darkest moment of her life, and no, it wasn't when she realized her name was Hagar, But when she felt completely alone and rejected, she cried out to God and she had an encounter with God. Now, she still had to walk through her trial. In fact, she tried to run away from her trial and God sent her back. But she suddenly had the strength to do it because no matter how much Sarah or anyone else hated her, no matter what Sarah thought of her, she had experienced the full acceptance of God. And after her encounter with God, the Lord, with the Lord, the scripture says this. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? See, we spend so much time trying to hide from God. But true freedom comes from knowing that he does see me and he loves me anyway. And I think Hagar's question is a good one for us to ask. She knows God has seen her and she adds, have I truly seen the one who sees me? Listen, maybe we don't feel seen by God because we're not looking to see if he's looking. Maybe we're so distracted by our treasure hunt to find glimpses of acceptance from the world that we can't see the full acceptance that God has offered us. And you might be here this morning or you might be watching in our online campus And you feel invisible. You might feel unwanted or unseen. You're not invisible. God knows you. And God loves you. He sees you and he loves you. Because God doesn't see the imperfection of your today he sees your perfection in eternity. Look at this verse from 2 Timothy. 
But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Because if you do, it is carved in immovable stone that the Lord knows you, the Lord sees you, the Lord accepts you. But even more than that, he chooses you. In Christ's love, I am chosen. In Christ's love, I am chosen. And that is so important in understanding God's love for us. Because I think that we can trick ourselves into believing that we are not special to God. We can make us, ourselves believe that we're not special. Because after all, of course God knows me. He knows everybody. He's God, right? But when you grab hold of the truth that he chooses you, that makes you incredibly special. Matthew 22 says, many are called, but few are chosen. Yes, when God sees you right now, he sees your eternal perfection because you are filled to completeness with Christ. But don't miss this. Even before you knew Christ, before you were made new, he chose you. Ephesians 1 says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That's being made complete in Christ. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Think about some of the words that are used there. God chose you. He adopted you into his own family. He wanted to choose you. He planned to choose you. It gave him pleasure to choose you. And it wasn't done begrudgingly. See, I think that we have a tendency to believe that we choose God and then once we choose God, we have to convince him to accept us. No, that's backwards. Look at what Christ said. In John 15, he said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you. To go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And that concept is all over the New Testament. I listed seven passages in your outline that all talk about you being chosen by God, being adopted by God. And I only stopped at seven because we ran out of room. Reflect on those passages. Meditate on those passages like we talked about last week. Ask God what he's saying about who you are. Do the spiritual practice in your message guide. The great lie of this world is that you have to find love. 
that your great journey in life is to find and convince someone to truly love you. No. You're already chosen. You're already loved. You're already accepted. And what are we chosen for? The verse that we read from Ephesians a few minutes ago said we are chosen by God to be adopted into his own family. And I have to say that we use that term, child of God, we use that term way too loosely in our society. It's not uncommon to hear someone say, well, we're all children of God. It's not true. It's not biblical. And it minimizes how God views us as adopted sons and daughters. Yes, all people are made in the image of God. All people are created by God. So it is our responsibility to treat every human being with respect and with dignity. But we're not all children of God. That title is reserved in scripture for those who are adopted by God through faith. That's the identity he wants us to have. But we continue to reject what that says about us because we keep telling ourselves, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. None of us are enough when we stand before the glory of God. That's the point. He didn't choose you for adoption because of your old identity. He chose you for adoption to give you a new one. Galatians 4.3 says this, and that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles. Other translations say powers, the powers of this world. Enslaved by the world. That was our identity before Christ. We weren't enough. But that's not the end of the passage. We were slaves to the basic spiritual powers of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son to be born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom to redeem to redeem me who was a slave to the law so that he could adopt us, adopt me as his very own child. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, prompting us to say and call out, Abba, Father, it's an intimate term. It means daddy, to call out to our daddy. And now, I'm no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since I'm his child, God has made me his heir. 
So you're not only known and accepted and chosen, but you are brought into the family and the inheritance of God. He says, I not only accept you, but I want you to be part of who I am. I want your identity to be rooted in knowing and believing that I chose you as my child. I choose you. Adoption means taking on the name and the identity of the Father. So we become more and more like him as we grow in Christ. But wherever we are right now, we have the identity of the Father. This is how my I am becomes rooted in the great I am because I am a child of the great I am. He chose you. He chose you. So stop, stop believing that you're nobody. Stop believing the lie that you are unwanted or invisible or incomplete. And when the darkness makes you ask the question, when it whispers in your ear, who are you? When it makes you ask, who am I? That the highest king would welcome me. You answer, I am loved. And I am chosen. And I am a child of the most high God. And I am not who you say I am. I'm not who this world says I am. I'm who you say I am. Let's worship and pray together no power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us separate me from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord God has an incredible purpose for your life. He has an incredible purpose for this church. And that purpose will be revealed when you begin to live in the completeness of who his love says that you are. And whether you need renewal this morning or you're truly sensing God's love for you for the first time. And you want to take that first step in living a life that reflects the love that he has for you. We want to be an encouragement to you. We're going to have pastors and care volunteers down front and in our care connection room. If you're watching in our online campus, you can click request prayer and we'll connect with you. God has a purpose for your life and it's rooted in his love for you. Let's pray. Father God, I call a blessing for everybody here. Lord, words can't convey your love. It can't convince, it can't create any experience with your love. There's no words that can be spoken. So I pray for all of us, myself included, that you would reveal your love in a new profound way that we can't resist, that we can't ignore and allow us to live our life reflecting that love to other people. Let us be so changed by your love that we no longer see what the world says about us, but what you say about us only. 
I am who you say I am. And Lord, I don't know why you chose me. But I praise you and give you glory that you did. And we all ask this together and we all say in one Christian voice, amen. Thank you for coming. Our memory verse this week, Romans 8, verse 39. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ our Lord. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. Thanks for listening and have a great week.